This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, Matt Straub welcoming you to the Roto World Fantasy Basketball Podcast. It is Friday, January 1st. 2021, I think, I believe. Happy New Year, Matt. Happy New Year, Ryan. We'll talk to you in a second. We are we are deep into week two of the NBA season. Today we have some fantasy takeaways to hit, including some big name players who were or are struggling early, as well as a rookie who is way more versatile than many of us expected. That and much more is coming up on the show. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I'm joined right now by Ryan Knaus, who very politely has already wished me a happy new year. Ryan will be with me for most of these Friday episodes this season. Ryan, how has the season been treating you so far? Uh, it's been treating me well. I, I have a lot of fantasy teams, so as usual, some are, some are up, some are down, mm-hmm. but m- most of the guys that I have uh, heavy shares in are doing quite well. How are, how are your fantasy squads doing so far? Yeah, uh, most are doing fine, <laughs> fine, I think. It's a lot to keep track of. That was not had, convincing, Matt. <laughs> I mean, I had, I'm just thinking about like one of my favorite leagues, I was leading all of last week, a head-to-head league, of course, and then you know lost a bunch of categories really close late. The first week was just weird, you know. I have mm-hmm. Clint Capella on a bunch of teams; he's still kind of ramping up. I have John Collins on a bunch of teams. Shocker, as a Hawks fan, I just mentioned two Hawks. He got off to a slow start. We're actually going to talk about Collins in a minute. So, I think I feel pretty good about my squads, but some have started faster than others. Let's just say, but yeah. I, I'm cautiously optimistic. I have a lot of, in my drafts, I found frequently in that 
second round range, uh, I was choosing between De'Aaron Fox or Ja Morant, and I landed a lot of Fox. I actually have no Ja Morant across nine fantasy leagues. So oh. the the one kind of major injury to a to a premier player, I've sort of avoided that so far. Right. Yes. Yeah, same. And. I mean, we're assuming Carl Anthony Towns' wrist is hopefully not major. Well, that's but... true. Sorry. <laughs> I completely <laughs> overlooked Cat. <laughs> By the way, De'Aaron Fox's hair has been one of the most jarring sights to me of the early season. Yes. Yeah, Steve like, and I were dude? saying. Who's that dude uh, for the Kings? <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's De'Aaron Fox. His hair is very short. Yeah. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. Same. All right, Ryan. Well, I want to start out today. We're you know we're talking about some fantasy takeaways here from the season so far, and I want to start with the topic that would be, let's face it, awkward to discuss if Steve Alexander was here. Luka Doncic is struggling. Okay, at least by his standards, his first four games, he's averaged twenty three point eight points, five point eight rebounds, six point three assists. Again, this is struggling. Zero point eight steals, zero point three blocks, and this is where he's really been bad. Zero point five three pointers shooting. Ryan, do you know this number? Do you want to hear this number? Give it to me. 9.5% from long distance. Yikes. Two for 21, I think, as we record this. The Mavs started out one and three. Now, obviously, we don't have to worry about Luka being productive in one sense, because I just said he's struggling. He's averaging 24, six, and six. But is it too soon to be concerned that he may not end up delivering that top-level first-round value that everyone's expecting? I think it's definitely... I mean... I'll preface this by saying it's too early to make almost any conclusions. We're almost four (laughs) games into the season. So obviously jump on the overperforming scrubs, you know, make your hot waiver wire pickups, try to sell. I I think early in the season, you know, fantasy managers, hopes are still high. You can take advantage of preseason expectations that aren't quite panning out. So I like to be busy in the trade market early in the season, you know, strike while the iron's hot. Everyone's optimistic, typically more engaged than they might be a couple months from now. So I think this is the time, but no, I'm not worried about Luca. And obviously, even if he struggles, there's no real by low opportunity there. And mm-hmm. I don't see systemic cause for concern. The only thing that worries me is that in addition to not making any of his three-pointers, he's also attempting a ton fewer. He's only at 5.3 attempts per game compared to almost nine per game last year. So I think that's a, an intentional move by Dallas. Maybe they want Luca to attack the, the paint, suck in and you know draw and kick kind of action. Uh, which is effective for them, but it's going to hurt his three-point totals. So that's the bad. The good news is that his turnovers are way down. He's only at 2.3 per game. Eventually, he's going to start making shots. His rebounds are considerably down. That, I don't know what to attribute to, because obviously Porzingis isn't playing yet. Uh, He'll be back soon, so I'm not sure what's happening with the rebounds. I do think his threes are down, but otherwise, I'm I'm satisfied that, that he'll hit the marks you expected on draft day. And again, I mean, they've had a couple crazy lopsided games. They had the game they won by 51 against the Clippers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they lost to Charlotte by 19 on Wednesday night. And that probably is the only thing that worries me is that the Mavs really don't look good early on. Other than that one win against the Clippers. What a weird start to the season for the Mavs, yeah. right? They get crushed by the Lakers. They get crushed by the Hornets. They smash the Clippers. So weird start to the season. You mentioned Porzingis. Him returning probably would be huge for Luka, take a little bit of the pressure off. You know, you can't really rely on Porzingis to stay healthy, of course, but when he's out there, I think that is another factor that will help. You know, more competitive games, pressure off of Luka. So yeah, I'm with you. 
I'm not real concerned, but I just want to poke Steve indirectly, yeah. even though he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> and there might be some something to the fact that Coach Rick Carlisle was saying all offseason, you know, training camp, preseason, our team needs to get better defensively. They were historically good on offense last year. That was not a concern. What they really wanted was to establish a defensive identity. So, you know, there's some growing pains. They're introducing Josh Richardson to the mix. Obviously, no KP. Dwight Powell's back. There's just some different pieces, and they're second slowest in pace through four games this year. Only the Suns are, are playing at a slower pace. So there are some headwinds for Doncic, but I, I think it'll sort itself out. All right, well, it had been a struggle for the aforementioned John Collins of the Hawks. He had three straight games of 15 or fewer points to start the season. Then he broke out with 30 and 10 against the Nets on Wednesday. Collins has dealt with foul trouble several times already. But the bigger concern for some people, I think, is how much deeper the Hawks got. That's not really a concern for me, Ryan, but I wanted to take your temperature on the <laughs> Collins situation. We've got him averaging about 18 and 7, down from last year. But again, a few early foul-plagued games and then that breakout game on Wednesday night. Did you end up with Collins in any leagues? And where do you land on this whole Hawks are deeper, Collins will not be nearly as good thing? nearly as good would would be a bit too harsh for me but yes i was down on him i to answer one of your questions i did not end up with him in any drafts for the very reason that i was kind of low on him whereas other people look and they say okay this is a top 10 guy last year maybe the capella concerns are overblown so if he's dropping to number 15 in my draft i'm gonna grab him i wasn't willing to do that so i ended up with him uh exactly nowhere and I am concerned about him. You said that the Hawks depth doesn't worry you. Are you are you talking as a as a Hawks fan, Matt? Or or legitimately you don't think that that's gonna impact Collins' usage and playing time more importantly? I don't even know anymore. I don't know where the line is anymore, Ryan. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I've lost my. I can't rash really rationally talk about. The, I try to rationally talk about the Hawks. No, I'll just say that I just have always thought that Collins' talent offensively especially would just rise above the environment and the environment is better in a real life sense but yeah they're they're a ton deeper and it's harder for him to get involved but I also think he was just a in foul trouble as I said and b trying to figure out where you know where to pick his spots and and in Wednesday night's game against the Nets the Hawks got him involved a ton early he got Mm -hmm. off to a really fast start and you know he ended up with 30 and 10 and I still think maybe he's not going to get to the nearly 22 points per game and 10 boards he averaged last year but I mean, I still think probably in a worst case scenario, you're looking at like a, an 18 or 19 and nine guy. And I would still probably take the over on both of those numbers. So I, I just think, you know, the drop off is not going to be anything big in the long run. And uh, yeah, so maybe if you took him in the top 12 of a league or something, you took him a little too early. But I still think he's in, he got an easy path to top 20 fantasy value on the low end. Okay, so you you put him right in there with Vooch, that kind of... <laughs> that's that's high praise. I mean, I took him ahead of Vooch in a bunch of leagues. I ended up with Collins in a okay. lot of leagues. So that's so what I, have, I was I'm, getting at. Okay. I'm heavily invested in this. Okay. I ended up with a lot of a lot of Vooch and a lot of Collins. So my, my uh, concern would be, yes, Collins playing time, is, you know, he was in foul trouble. 
but he's still at 25 minutes per game. And this is without Capella to start the season. And Capella, you know, when Collins went off on, on Wednesday, Capella was limited to 20 minutes per game. We've yet to see that minute cap really vanish. The Hawks have Cam Reddish, who needs more minutes and touches. DeAndre Hunter needs more minutes and touches. As you, you know, Bogdan Bogdanovich is, is providing firepower off the bench. They just don't need as much from Collins as they did last season. So I am concerned that his minutes and, although his usage is identical to the decimal point of what it was <laughs> last year, uh, I just don't see him hitting those heights. Yeah, so I'm I'm a little further down on him than you are. Now, to his credit, he's very durable. And as you said, I think 18 and 9 are reasonable expectations. So he's not going to suddenly drop off the map. But yeah, somewhere in the 20 to 30 range, I think would be fair. That's fair. I won't I won't accept 30. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, even a drop off puts him is a very valuable fantasy player. Let's talk about situations that maybe are slightly more concerning in Portland a couple of prominent names not playing up to their standards Robert Covington and Yusuf Nurkic let's start with Covington 5.5 points per game 5.3 rebounds 1.8 steals 0.5 blocks 0.8 threes just 5.8 field goal attempts per game through his first four that's down from 10.3 last year do you think this is just a case of a guy trying to find his way on a new squad or is there a legitimate cause for concern to you about his role in Portland not matching our expectations? More the latter, unfortunately. Oh, okay. I mean, his numbers are pretty comparable to what he's done in the past. If you look at it, especially on a per 36-minute basis, his defensive stats, his, you know, his rebounds aren't great, but they never have been. Uh, he's usually around 5-6 per game, somewhere in there, with the exception of one season. What is concerning, and, and you, you highlighted it, was he's only averaging 5.5 points. And it's not just some crazy early season slump. He has P.J. Tucker-esque usage right now of 10, 10%. 10.3%. Uh, if you're anywhere near single digits, you're just not involved offensively. Like that, that is the definition of a three and D go sit in the corner kind of player. And unfortunately that's, that's the role he's filling right now. Could that change in time? Potentially. Yes. But obviously the Blazers backcourt is going to absolutely dominate the ball and the shot attempts. They have Nurk who needs his touches uh, guys coming off the bench who need touches. So, you know, will he get better as the season goes on and it becomes more comfortable with this team? Probably. But are we going to see what I, among others, had hoped for, which was a top 40 campaign where he just kind of really hit the ground running and filled that power forward spot in Portland to perfection? Yikes. Uh, he, he's averaging under 31 minutes per game. That's also a red flag. So I am I am kind of off Rocco at this point. All right, well, let's talk about Nurkic now. We all remember how dominant he was in the Orlando bubble. Returned first-round value on a per-game basis for the eight regular season games he played. You know, 17.6 points, 10.3 boards, four assists per game, 1.4 steals, 2.0 blocks. He was just dominating when he came back from his very long layoff from that awful leg injury. It's been a pretty different story this year, Ryan, for a guy who went quite early in a lot of fantasy drafts. So Nurkic so far is putting up 9.8 points, 7.5 boards, 0.8 blocks, had just four points, four boards with four turnovers on Wednesday against the Clippers. On a scale of one to 10, Ryan, hmm. what are you on Nurkic in, on the concern level? On the, on the newly minted concern level scale. The, the concern scale. Uh, I'll go with a five because 
I, I'm of two minds about this. I, I So I don't know, because I'm willing to target him as a buy low guy, because I still think he's a 15 and 12 guy, potentially with a block and a half or, or more per game. So I, I think what's happening early isn't quite what we're going to see. The part that I can't explain is why he averaged 32 minutes per game in the Orlando seeding games. He then averaged 32.2 against the Lakers in the first round, yet he's playing 26.3 this season. Hmm. And I, it's just a bit of a cognitive break for me because Hassan Whiteside is gone, but he, and he's been replaced by Ennis Cantor. You'd think that would kind of be a wash. Zach Collins is out. So there's no no real threat in the front court that's causing this. It's kind of just Terry Stott's rotation. So that's the part that worries me. But other than that, you know, I, I still think he's a bit of a buy low guy. There was also kind of the thing where when he first came back after that long layoff, I mean, it was it was like he had been shot out of a cannon. I mean, he was truly <laughs> making up for lost time in a very dramatic way. I'm looking back at those numbers from late July, early August. I mean, It really was like his first five games, just completely dominating 20 points, 11 boards, five assists, 1.6 steals, 2.4 blocks. After that, he kind of cooled off a bit. You know, he was still good in the playoffs, but Mm -hmm. more like 14 and 10, right? With good assists and, you know, steals and stuff like that. But yeah, I think it's time to probably adjust our expectations to something more like what you're talking about, maybe like a a 15 and 10-ish guy. For me... If I'm choosing between Collins and Nurkic, it's it's a no doubt I would rather have Collins. Easily for me as well. Okay. So, yeah, medium medium level concern on Nurkic, higher than medium level concern on Covington to close the book on Portland. One star who is most definitely not struggling, Ryan, is Nurkic's former teammate, Nikola Jokic. In recent years, we've seen slow starts for Jokic, including last year. Slow starts for him, I should say, including last year where he averaged just 14.9 points through his first 19 games. This year, coming off his outstanding playoff run, the Joker has posted 24.5 points, 11.8 rebounds, and 13.5 assists to start the season. You know, in one sense, he was already a first-round fantasy pick, and he's performing like one, so it's not a huge headline. But then again, it looks like we've dodged a slow start, and maybe getting the best version of Jokic we've ever seen. What, what do you make of all this, Ryan? Yeah, I, I had half-jokingly suggested that this historically short offseason might play to Jokic's favor uh, as a fantasy value because he's notoriously come into camp a little bit out of right. shape, a little a little doughy in years past. So I was like, you know, maybe he didn't have enough time to relax on the beaches uh, for the past couple months. But <laughs> jokes aside, what he's doing is ridiculous. Um, just triple-double threat every single time he takes the court. He was He's one rebound away in that game versus the Clippers from having a triple-double in all four games to start this season. Uh, I mean, the Elias stats guys must be having a field day with this. Uh, his, his turnovers are through the roof, of course, but he's also hit a three-pointer in every single game. His efficiency is through the roof. And defensively, what do you do about a guy who can run as a point center, who can stretch you to the perimeter and knock down three-pointers consistently? He's at 40% on the season. If you foul him, he's going to make his free throws, which he's making six per game. And he can... He can pass over and through any anyone you throw at him. If you try to double-team him, he's just going to pick you apart with his passing. So it's really fascinating, and it's he's so fun to watch. Like, any time the Nuggets are playing, I'm like, all right, let me, let me check out what he's doing. And he's not just central to it. I, I haven't gone back and done any historic looks, but he's 
easily tops in the league with 113 touches per game. Now, for context, Jokic also led the NBA last season in touches per game at 97. So he's getting, what is that, 16 more touches per game, 15% higher. It's mind-blowing. So I, I love what he's doing. And the next closest person in touches, by the way, is DeMontis Sabonis at 103. So he's 10 touches per game ahead of the next closest guy. That's crazy. You know, you you said you were half joking about the off season thing. I think <laughs> at most it's a half joke. I mean, it, it makes some sense to me that a guy who's come in out of shape has less time to get out of shape. I mean, I yeah, maybe I that's a, buy that a, a three on the joke scale. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's insane. I I didn't find myself getting Jokic in any leagues. I wanted to, mm. so I'm bummed out about that. But very fun for people who have him on rosters. Sabonis is interesting, and I don't want to go too far into that, but he's been really good. 21.8 points, 11.0 boards, 7.3 assists. The free throws with him have become an issue, though, right? He's shooting 60% from the line on 7.5 attempts per game. You're getting to punt territory there. And this is a a 72% shooter last year on 4.8 attempts per game. So attempts are way up percentage is way down that's one to watch closely for me as you're assessing Sabonis's fantasy value as well as the turnovers you are right there there's it's a double-edged sword because with his free throws so high his previous high was last year at 4.8 attempts per game he's up to seven and a half and if he's shooting you know even if he gets back to his career average of hovering around 70 percent that's still pretty brutal you know that's that's going to drag you down and and suddenly you're losing that category more often than not so definitely a concern but i think you'll live with it for a guy who's averaging 22 11 and 7 right now <laughs> yeah agreed jeremy grant as i connect everything to Nikola Jokic played, of course, with the big man in Denver last season. He is now with the Pistons. Detroit is off to a bad start. They're 0-4, but Grant reportedly wanted a bigger role in Detroit, and he has very clearly gotten it. Through four games, Grant is averaging 22.8 points, 6.0 rebounds, 1.0 steals, 1.8 blocks, 2.8 three-pointers. He's shooting a ton of threes, playing 37 minutes per game. I'm pretty much kicking myself for not landing him in any of my leagues ryan i thought Mm. he could improve i did not envision this type of ceiling where were you on grant coming into the season and where are you now i was pretty high on him but i was i was concerned about what it would look like if he you know as you say he he turned down equal money over equal years from the nuggets just because he wanted a bigger role higher profile whatever it was but I was concerned, like, does he have the tools necessarily to fill that bigger role? Uh, I knew right. a ton of usage was going to be coming his way, uh, that his shot attempts would go up, but I, I worried that that would go hand in hand with a decrease in efficiency, more turnovers, you know, maybe rough free throw percentage shooting. But he's been fantastic. And the, the part I like most is not just the scoring, which has been extremely impressive, but the fact that he's blocking shots. He's got at least one block per game almost averaging two per game, plus a steal, and almost three threes. Can he keep it up? I don't know, but he's clearly going to destroy his average draft position. Uh, I do have him in a couple leagues, but I was he's not a guy that I was like, every draft I need to get Jeremy Grant. When he fell to me around 60, then I was like, okay, that's a comfortable range for me, and I got him a, a couple places. I'm just in agony thinking. I, I can't even look back. I can't. I well, can't even bear to look back because there were multiple leagues where I felt like a no man's land in the draft and 
I took Ricky Rubio a couple times, and mm. I can't even bring myself to look back and see if Jeremy Grant was still there. I'm not ready to do it. In your defense, Matt, the preseason was horrifying. He was really, really bad. So right around when all these drafts were taking place, Jeremy Grant was bricking shots left and right. Um, what right. Was it? I mean, one of 11 in the preseason opener, followed by two of eight shooting, then five of eight and four of 14. He finished, I think, shooting 25% from the field or something like that. And that fed those concerns of like, does this guy even have it in him to be a go-to you know, option for a, for a bad team? So maybe that played into. I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to give you some rope here to to climb out. I appreciate out. that. Well, I will say this. I mean, he had he he started out the season poorly. He had nine points on four of eleven shooting, shot one for five on threes. Then he got hot. Twenty eight, twenty seven, and twenty seven points. I mean, let's be honest. The reality is probably somewhere in between. Yeah. You know, I would be shocked if this guy made a full season jump from a career high of 13.6 points to 23 per game, you know, Agreed. I would be much more of a believer in like 17 or 18 per game as his long-term reality. But again, that with some boards and the steals, the blocks, the threes, he's a great fantasy player. So I don't think it's a situation where, you know, this is a total mirage. I think no. he's a little maybe over his head would be my guess. Yeah. He's also played no good well except for your hawks he's played no no, (laughs) he's played no no good teams the the wolves in the opener the Cavs in a double overtime game that that allowed him to get his first double double uh and then the warriors on tuesday so we'll see what happens when a when a good defense gets their chance at him all right if you find yourself up against the clock to get your waiver claims in or can't decide who to start as tip-off approaches save time and make the best decisions with our all-new nba league sync tool League Sync pulls in all of your team and league info from Yahoo to show you who the best available players are on the wire, who you should start, who you should bench, and much more. Let League Sync do all the work and you can take all of the glory. Get League Sync, our DFS tools, and our draft and season tools as part of the Edge Plus Pro Tier. Go to rotoworld.com edge for more and use promo code NBAPOD10 for $10 off any annual premium package. Ryan, you mentioned the Warriors a second ago. I want to talk about a couple of rookies here. The first is James Weissman of the Warriors. After scoring 19 and 18 in his first two NBA games, he had a couple of foul-plagued single-digit outings, which, you know, I guess you expect that from a 19-year-old big man in the NBA. Overall, Weissman, through those four games, averaging 12.5 points, 5.8 boards, 0.8 steals, 1.5 blocks, 1.33 pointers, showing off a nice three-point stroke. I know you tend to not draft too many rookies, Ryan, but... Mm -hmm. I'm curious, is what you're seeing from Weissman making you uh, intrigued to the point of wanting to make an exception to your no rookies rule? Uh, it is. And actually, he was he was nearly there prior to this sort of early season uh, breakout is too strong of a word, but but to his strong play. Is I liked it? him. I liked him. Well, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. But um I liked him coming in just because most rookies inefficiencies is the killer for them. And, you know, even a guy who got a bunch of assists in college, maybe he's not in that role in the NBA or he had the ball in his hands a lot. And suddenly he's playing against Lou Dort on a random Tuesday and he has seven turnovers. So whatever the case may be, I I didn't see any of those concerns with Wiseman. I figured he'd be a low minute guy, get a, solid you know six boards per game maybe eight shoot at a solid percentage from the field and give you some blocks that was the key for me if you can get a 
ton of blocks and a low per minute sample. Those are the guys we see, the Robert Williams, Mitch Robinson types who can do that. Obviously, Wiseman has more tools than them, but uh, that's the part of his game as a rookie that I really glommed onto. And he's looked really good. when His three-point shooting has been the huge surprise. Prior to Tuesday's game, he was five of six from deep. Steve Kerr is just encouraging him to shoot. Uh, obviously, you love his defensive upside. And the Warriors have no compelling reason not to keep playing him. They started him out of the gates. Kevon Looney can't stay healthy and doesn't need a ton of minutes. Uh, Marquise Chris, obviously, done for the season. So who else do they have? They're going to go with Draymond Green in small ball lineups at center. But I love Wiseman's spot on this team. I like that they're putting him in a position to succeed with open three-pointers where he can just draw out uh, centers. And so it's it's all for the good. I have no nothing negative to say here. You know, I, I think you mentioned Mitch Robinson a second ago. That was kind of what I was imagining um, because, you know, from what I'd seen of Wiseman's very limited college footage you know just three games for memphis it was you know a lot of dunks putbacks finishing close to the rim Mm -hmm. but man the three-point stroke is pretty sweet the lefty Mm -hmm. the lefty strokes has splashed a bunch of threes and by the way the ball skills are really impressive he drove right past jeff green in their opening game drove left for a layup you know we saw him against the pistons block mason Plumley on one end take the ball coast to coast a lot of the time in his right hand and then sort of almost Euro step to the basket for a dunk. It's like, man, if this guy can stay out of foul trouble consistently, he is just going to be a lot of fun in fantasy leagues. The Warriors don't look that good, but I think he's a guy who's probably can feast in garbage time on a lot of evenings. And I got him in one of my favorite leagues, but I am, man, I wish I had him in more places. And I feel like these, mm-hmm. these last two foul-plagued games kind of give you an opportunity to try to get Weissman on your squad because he's an absolute dynamo. Where would you put him? I pre-see, like, you know, before we had even seen him in training camp in the preseason, I said on a little video clip that I, I don't think in competitive leagues he'll be there, I think I said after 50. And now I wasn't saying I would draft him top 50. I just thought that there was going to be more hype around him. That, yeah. di- that, that died on the vine. And people, I mean, his ADP was 103 in Yahoo. I think that's where he was. Def- wasn't he defaulted to around like 105 in the Yahoo like draft? Yeah, somewhere. Yep, after. right around there. And people just forgot about him. Now, granted, you can also look at Basketball Monster and say, well, the guy is outside the top 150 in nine-category leagues, but he certainly wasn't after his first two games. So he's taken a little bit of a downturn after the great start. You know, he had that 18.8 rebound, three-block game with, I think, a couple of threes mm-hmm. against the Bucks. if I'm not hallucinating. And uh, I just think he, you know, you got an opportunity here before he goes back on the upswing to maybe try to get him on your squad. What were you going to say? Oh, just that percentages have been the the real drag. You, I mean, you mentioned him outside the top 150, which I did not even know. But, you know, he's, he's shooting very poorly from the field, if I'm not wrong. So I, I, I expect his field goal percentage to boost and with it, uh, his fantasy value. Well, and again, look, he's still carrying some of the weight of a shaky evening from the free throw line in the opener where he went four for eight. But then he went five for six in the next game. Hasn't attempted a free throw since. The stroke looks pretty good. I would guess he's going to consistently be a pretty solid free throw shooter, not a liability there. Same here. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. 
we come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I also, as we talk rookies, Ryan, I want to hit the roller coaster that is the LaMelo Ball experience. Total dud in his opener, went scoreless in 15 minutes, over 5 from the field. Averaged just 17 minutes over his first three games. Then had a breakout game on Wednesday with 22 points, 8 rebounds, 5 dimes, 1 steal, 1 block, 4 threes. I think he shot 7 for 10 from the field in a blowout win over the aforementioned Dallas Mavericks. Now, I checked, Ryan, and he scored 7 of his 22 points in total garbage time in a game that was out of hand. But, you know, he put up some of those numbers when the game was still in the balance. No doubt this was a major improvement, but it's also the big outlier in his first four games. Did I, I feel like I'm asking a question I already know the answer to, but did this game move the needle for you on ball at all? No. <laughs> um, not. I mean, maybe a little bit. He's just different in general than what I had anticipated. I thought that, fr- that free throw percentage was going to be a real struggle for him, but he's over 80%, I believe, from the line right now. Uh, yeah, I just expected uh, like a lot more turnovers. I did not know that he would be this good from three-point range. Now, I haven't watched a ton of Hornets games, <laughs> um, but I have watched him, and he's just extremely impressive. I mean, his passing is as advertised. He's really big for his position especially, and on a team that has, you know, their true centers are Bismack Biombo and an injured Cody Zeller. They're playing P.J. Washington a ton as a small ball center, so boards are going to be there, and LaMelo Ball is going to get a lot of them. But to go back to the three-point shooting, he's 8 of 15 from deep. If you ignore that opener dud that you cited, he's 8 of 12 from the three-point line, which was not at all what I expected coming into the season. He also has a steal in every single game this season. So I would say those are the the keys for me. If he can rebound the ball at a rate that we expect, if he continues to get at least one steal every single game, and if he can make his three-pointers without hurting you from the line, then... Yeah, I mean, suddenly my my ignore rookies rule is looking pretty shaky, Matt. You know, it's so weird because efficiency was not (laughs) his calling card when he played in Australia. He shot 37.5% from the field there on nearly 17 attempts per game. He shot 25% on threes. He was 72 from the line. So, like, that's probably the one I'm least concerned about. I think I'm more concerned about the field goal long term. But, you know, he shot it well so far. I don't know. I I'm not really convinced that he's not going to be the liability in field goal percentage in the long run that we think he probably will be. I mean, he's just, he's shooting unsustainably hot from threes. And I don't mean this to sound like I'm dislike LaMelo Ball, the player. I think he's a really exciting player. I just have never been sold on LaMelo Ball, the fantasy option, especially this year. 
Right. I guess if you were punting field goal percentage in a league, you could just take the Hornets' entire backcourt and call it a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which do you do you think to put a bow on Melo and and his going forward potential? Do you think he starts sooner rather than later? And if so, probably alongside Rogier, I would think. Yeah, I mean Rogier has been really good. We talk about guys who have been you know a steal in drafts. Mm. He's been fantastic. And and granted, he's boosted by that forty-two point ten three-pointer game, but he's pretty much returned value in every game. He was solid. I think a little underrated last year. So I really like Rogier, and yeah, I would think so. I don't have Devontae Graham anywhere. No, same here. Graham has, yikes. We talked about this last year. You know, he shot 38% last year to put a big anchor on those great counting stats. This year, through his first four games, he's shot 30.8%. Oh, oh you no. don't want to see a guy go from 38% to 30.8. We moved, we moved one of the numbers there in a very bad way. We moved the eight. <laughs> the eight the eight is not where you want it to be. Four for thirteen, four for sixteen, five for fifteen, three for eight. Mm. I mean, at what point are you better off flat out better off with this guy not on your fantasy squad? You you are absolutely punting field goal if he's on your squad. Yeah, that's always tough is is having those players who actively hurt you. Like if he doesn't, you know, get many rebounds at all, like let's say I think he's at he's at three and a half per game right now. If he were getting one and a half per game, you'd be like, wow, come on, Graham, like grab, you know, certainly there are more loose balls out there, but that's not actively hurting your fantasy team. Right. Whereas right. every time he shoots the ball and clanks one at 13 attempts per game, yeah, that's tough to overcome. So I, I really try to avoid those guys in drafts, particularly in Roto, of course, but uh, even in head to head, that's tough. I want to bring us to the end here, toward the end here, with I think the only logical place we can conclude, and that is with Lugens Dort, the uh, <laughs> second-year wing for the Thunder, off to a raging fast start, 18.7 points, 3.7 boards, 1.3 steals, 3.03 pointers, 54 from the field, 47.5 on three-pointers. Those numbers were all prior to Oklahoma City's game on New Year's Eve. Now, obviously, Lou Dort can't quite stay this hot, but I'm curious, are you buying in to the notion of him being a legitimate fantasy option, someone who probably should be rostered more or less in every league at this point? I'll say yes to that question, simply because he's going to get a bunch of steals, I think, and OKC needs him to shoot the ball. That's basically what it comes down to. But am I buying into this hot start full stop? Like, do I think he will be a top 75 player? Absolutely not. No, I, ju I just don't think he's got it. I mean, as good as he is defensively, he's not going to get many blocks. He rarely gets assists. Uh, you know, I put the over under that at two and I'll take the under. Uh, he's not a not a plus rebounder for his position. And he's shooting unrealistically. There was the 9 of 11 shooting game versus Utah, which is completely skewing his field goal percentage. Uh, he's almost 50% from deep. That's obviously not going to stay. <clears throat> so if you look at his per 36 stats from last year, he averaged 10.7 points per 36. This year, he's at 21 points per 36. Now, his usage has jumped a little bit to 19%, but it's that it's the unrealistic game versus Utah, basically, that's skewing the whole picture. So although I do think his usage will be better, his minutes are going to be there, the steals will be there, all he is really is a catch-and-shoot guy. 51% of his shots this year have come with zero dribbles. Now, he has his next closest 
block as an offensive player was on three to six dribbles, but he's only shooting 33% on those attempts. So basically, if he's a catch-and-shoot guy, he's been very effective. If he's forced to make his own shot, he's extremely ineffective. Now, the NBA scouting report is going to catch up with that, and they're not going to leave Lou Dort wide open if he's shooting 50% as a catch-and-shoot option from deep. So ultimately that pans out to his percentages will go down threes will be harder to find wide open and yeah so i'm i'm buying him if he's just on your waiver wire but am i looking to trade for him or anything like that absolutely not that sound you hear is the wind just flying out of my ludort sails as you as you <laughs> gave that analysis <laughs> give, give us no. another gust matt what, what's the upside here no no i mean no i like him I, I would not be close to believing that he can do anything close to this but i think Maybe there's a universe where on that team, <laughs> as a guy who shoots a lot of threes, he can be like a 14, 15 point per game guy with some threes and some steals. You heard it and here he first, everyone. He the Matt Straub alternate universe where Lou Dort is a, is a 15 point score. What do you think he ends up averaging? Let's make a bet. I, I think he averages 13.4 points per game this season. Okay. So, or did, you, did you want all his numbers, or are we just no, no, no? Or? I just want okay. points. Yeah. I just want points. So you ha- you have him at thirteen point four, but my claim of fifteen is outrageous. <laughs> no, I just I, liked the alter- There's an alternate universe wherein he averages uh, five points more than he did last year. <laughs> sure, and those kind of things happen. Okay. Yeah, no, of course. So if I say fifteen and you say thirteen point four, what what should be the over under on our bet? We're gonna make a season long bet that we'll probably forget about. I'll take the under on 14.5. 14.5 is the line? Fine. I'll take the over on 14.5 to make it interesting. Okay. I just wanted to do some world building with you and fill out this alternate universe. That's all. (laughs) I've been impressed by him. But again, 18.7 points per game, I'm sure, is is nowhere close to sustainable. But 15 points exactly in his other two games. What are the stakes of our bet, by the way? Well, Steve and I have a... Uh, recurring Luka Doncic bet about his free throw percentage and I had I lost narrowly last seasons and I had to buy him a Trey Young a jersey of his choosing oh wow I I don't I don't know if you want to go that far but that's that's what Steve and I do you know what sure I I haven't thought this through at all but a jersey as the stake is is selling me so let's 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 do that okay I'm gonna get a Lou Dort jersey if I win so I'm pretty psyched about this and I get one of my choosing, but it has to be an OKC player. How about that? That's fine. Or, I mean, you know, it's wide open as far as I'm concerned. Okay. You can get a James Weissman if you want. Uh, Jeremy Grant. Do it up. All right. So now I'm actively rooting against Lou Dort this season, even though I, I like him. <laughs> yeah, what a terrible place to be. I know. All right. Well, that about does it for us. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Take a second to rate and review us as well. We'll be back on Tuesday with some waiver wire pickups. As usual, we're here every Tuesday and Friday throughout the season. Thanks to all of you for listening. A very happy new year to everyone. Ryan, thanks for taking the time. We'll see you later. Bye, Matt. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. 
Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.